The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And this modern, secular culture of ours says, I'm out. Forget it. If you've seen the uh, rather sarcastic comedian, commentator, whatever you want to call him, Bill Maher, he's constantly saying things like, if you have faith, you accept all sorts of things on the basis of no evidence whatsoever. So our world sees it. But our modern world is actually a closed universe. It seems kind of strange because in one way, doesn't it seem like the universe is opening up to us? We're talking about going to Mars and beyond, right? And there's no doubt science seems to be gaining knowledge at the speed of light. But I would still say to you, our minds are closed. The modern mind is closed, And here's why, because we have reduced everything to the empirical, to the observable, the measurable, the provable. Now, do not misunderstand me. I am not at all suggesting that uh, our Christian faith is opposed to science. I'm not bashing science. There have been those brands of Christianity that have done that in the past. They treat science as if it's from the devil. No, not at all. Faith and science are not opposed to each other. In fact, ultimately, they are both in search of the same thing. They're searching for truth. So, true science and true theology cannot contradict each other. 
They all lead to the truth. But see, this is what I mean when I say the modern mind is actually closed. Because for all of our genius discoveries, for think of all the technology that we have, all of this, that knowledge is not leading us back to the truth. It's closed off to God who gave us everything as a gift, gave us everything as witness to His goodness and mercy. Truth is more than what we can simply observe. So take, for example, my beautiful wife, Shelley. Now, we could take a look at Shelley from science, from the science of biology, let's say, right? We could measure her height and her weight. We could, we could observe that she is female, that she has red hair and blue eyes. We could look at her from the science of psychology. We could say she fits into a certain personality profile, that she has certain traits and she has certain habits. But none of this can possibly tell you all there is to know about my wife, Shelley. Now, my love for her as her husband and my relationship with her is not opposed to any of these facts that we could observe. I'm a pretty big fan of her red hair, right? In fact, All of these things that I said, it's all a part of that love and that relationship that I have with her. It's not in contradiction to it. And that's my simple point. There's just more. There's more than just those things. There's more to the mystery of who she is. And so also, friends, then there are places that we have to go that are not in contradiction to our reason and to science, but we must go beyond it. It surpasses that understanding. And now we are in a place for things like faith and love. If you think about it, St. Thomas wanted empirical evidence, right? Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and I put my finger into the nail marks and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And he's not entirely off base. He doesn't want to just take the other's word for it. He wants a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. And so do we. We all need that. And so St. John in his gospel tells us this story. And then he explains to us that while Thomas and the other disciples did indeed experience a physical appearance of Jesus, you and I and all the generations of Christians ever since his ascension, we just don't get that. We don't experience that. And so John tells us it's through the signs that Jesus did, recorded for us in the gospel, and now proclaimed by his church that this is how we are to personally experience the risen Jesus. All right, then show me a sign, Jesus. But we got to understand, first of all, what is a sign? A sign is a sensible revelation of a spiritual truth, a reality. It is something that we experience through our physical senses. But our senses alone cannot tell us everything that there is to know. Our senses alone cannot tell us the whole truth of what is happening. We need faith and we need love. Now this happens to us all the time as human beings. You don't even have to be particularly religious to know what I'm talking about. Because we as human beings are both body and soul. And so through physical realities, we actually experience deeper spiritual truths and realities. 
So here's an example. If my wife, Shelly, were to come up here right now and give me a kiss, that would embarrass my kids so much. (laughs) I mean, that would be worth the price of admission right there. But that's not my point. (laughs) Maybe awkward for all of you too. Who knows? But anyway, here's my point. (laughs) That if she came up here and gave me a kiss, I would not make the observation that I feel the temperature of two lips pressing against my lips. Or I wouldn't say something like, I feel the moisture of saliva as it has been applied to my cheek. I would say, she loves me. Her kiss is a sign. But I need faith and I need love to know that. And that, my friends, is how our Lord works. The nail prints and the spear scar showed Thomas and the other disciples that Jesus is the crucified and the risen one, his Lord and his God. But now for us, the signs, the signs are told to us in the gospel as the word is either read by our eyes or it's heard by our ears. It's when the pastor pronounces that forgiveness over us when we confess our sins. It's in that water, either immersed or poured. It's in this bread that we're going to eat and this wine that we're going to drink. Our five senses perceive the physical realities of it all. But it's faith and love that perceive the truths and the realities beyond those things. That the risen Christ through all of these ways is coming to each and every one of us personally. Now, we may wonder why God does it this way. I mean, why leave it all up to the possibility of doubt and even the ridicule of people like Bill Maher or many others? Why leave it all to chance? Why not give us irrefutable proof that he's risen from the dead that would make it impossible for us not to believe? Why not? There'd be no doubt. Maybe. But there would also be no faith and no love. God has never done it this way. He's never made his case by force or undeniable proof. With God, it's not about winning an argument or a debate. It's always been about winning our hearts. And so that's why he's chosen to come into this world as a helpless little baby. It's why he's chosen to suffer rejection and torment and death at our hands. And it's why he chose to appear to his followers, not even his enemies, And he trusted that his followers would tell others. I mean, what would happen if there was irrefutable evidence? If you could not escape the fact, you had to face it. Then you wouldn't have the freedom to choose. And if you don't have freedom, God might get your compliance, but not your love. And that's what he really wants. So God does it His way, gently knocking at the doors of our hearts, not overwhelming us with external power or proof. He gives us freedom, which risks our doubt, but it also gives us the chance to truly love. And I would argue so far I think it's worked out pretty well. It's not been perfect by any means, of course. But I would point to all the good that Christians have have done in this world and are doing to this day. I would point to all of the beauty that Christians have created all coming out of their faith 
and their love. Would simply preaching the message of Jesus' resurrection have found such faith and love? Would it have been able to build up a worldwide community of Christians unless the power of truth was in that preaching? Unless Jesus really is risen from the dead. And sometimes we hear the words of Jesus to Thomas in a form of a scolding question, picturing Jesus with his hands on his hips. Have you come to believe because you've seen me, Thomas? But actually the Greek could be translated as simply a true matter-of-fact statement. Because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And if you know this story, you probably know he usually gets the name Doubting Thomas. But I would prefer to call him Honest Thomas. He had the courage to say what he really thought. We know that the other disciples struggled just as much. If you were listening to the first part of the story, they were locked up for fear, locked up in that upper room. And they had already heard Jesus was raised from the dead, but there they were, still in fear, still in doubt. Kudos, though, to the ten of them and even to Thomas, because the next week Thomas is there. And Jesus came to Thomas in the midst of that honesty, even though it wasn't very pretty. And Jesus provided for Thomas what Thomas needed to rekindle their relationship. That same risen Jesus, friends, he knows you and he knows me better than we know ourselves, including the doubts and the struggles that you have in your heart. What I would invite you to do is take a moment and be honest with Him. Sometimes we think when we talk to God, we got to put on our, quote, God talk. Well, I could never say those things to Jesus. He already knows. Of course you can. Be honest with Him. And if we would listen and if we would open up our hearts to Him, then he will come and provide what you need and what I need, which is that personal encounter with him, the risen one, so that we can know that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life. So I invite you in just a quiet moment of prayer to open up your heart and be honest with him and let him come to you and speak as you need to hear.